Now, I want you to open your Bibles to the book of 2 Timothy. Let's go there into 2 Timothy. And uh, tonight is going to be sort of a foundational, is going to be sort of a foundational um, lesson that's going to lead us into what we're going to be studying for the remainder of this year in our Wednesday night services. I think it's going to be beneficial and profitable to, uh, to all of us. I hope it will. And uh, so tonight we're going to lay a foundational message upon which everything else will sort of be built. And so we're, we're looking in the book of 2 Timothy and uh, chapter number 3 uh, is where we're going to be. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, let's begin reading, if you will, uh, if you want to follow along there in verse number 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I charge thee therefore. Now, that word therefore is significant, and if you've been around church very long, you know that when you see the word therefore, you've got to find out what it's there for. So what that word does is it links what we're, what we're about to read with what we already have read. So what have we already read? That all Scripture is given by inspiration of God that is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good work. Because of that truth, because of that teaching, now he, he says to Timothy, I'm charging you. Now here's my charge to you. I'm giving you a charge. I'm giving you a challenge. Uh, because of that, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing. Now, let me stop and say this. The quick and the dead are not the two types of pedestrians in New York City. Quick and dead, all right? That's not what that is. The quick and the dead is talking about those who have been made alive in Christ and then those who have not. So he's going to judge both the quick and the dead uh, at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Let's pray. Father... Help us, I pray. Give us the things we have need of. I'm grateful, Lord, for the way you've answered prayer with our folks that have been sick, and we continue to pray for them that they'll get better. And, and uh, Lord, just help us, I pray, that, that uh, we might um, uh, continue to, to uh, give you the glory here at South Valley as you've blessed and those that have been visiting. And, and Lord, just help us to stay focused and stay on track. I pray now that you bless this tonight. Bless our sign language class for the first, very first time they're meeting. Bless it, Lord. I pray it would result in a great ministry of reaching many folks for Christ that would not have otherwise been reached. So do thy will, do thy work, and bless tonight in uh, this Bible study. We'll give you the glory. In Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. Now, if you were to go to 
our website at svbaptistchurch.com, you'll find our statement of faith. The very first thing that you'll read there is what we believe about the scriptures. And this is what our, this is our statement of faith. So let, me, let me read it to you verbatim. We believe the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be the Bible as it is in truth the Word of God, 1 Thessalonians 2.13. We believe in verbal plenary inspiration in the original writings and God's preservation of His pure words to every generation, 2 Timothy 3.16, Psalm 12.6-8. We believe the King James Version is the preserved Word of God in the English language and will be used exclusively in all ministries of this local church. We believe the Bible is without error and that it is the supreme and final authority on all matters of faith and practice. And so that's our, that is our belief and that is our stand that we take on the Bible. And, and so it's an important one. I think it's, I think it's vital uh, that we realize that, that um, uh, the Word of God has always, since the inception of our church, it's always um, been our absolute authority, our absolute and final authority in all matters of faith and of practice. That's very, very, very important. And my, I want to just say this, that's why we are Baptist people. And it's because of the fact that, that traditionally and historically, we're not, and I understand Baptist is a big name, but the reality of the matter is historically we've always held to the Bible as, as our uh, final authority. And uh, we've done our best in these 16 years to let the Word of God, not tradition, not fads, not right hand or left hand, but we've tried our best to let the Word of God be our guide as we planted these, uh, this church here 16 years ago and in the years uh, that followed. Now, I don't think there's any doubt that the Bible is under attack. The Word of God has been attacked. I think some of it is very subtle. I think there's been a watering down of the, of the Scriptures. I think there has been, I think that, I think that the Bible has, has suffered at the hands of God's people even, uh, in, in that um, there, has been, there has been a great watering down of the Word to where a lot of the authority of the Bible now is more street language. I, and I'm just thinking about different things, and I'm not going to go into, this isn't what I'm doing tonight, but, but take the NIV. There's 60,000 less words, so you can't tell me that things that are different are the same. You show me something and it's different and this is different. Well, if they're different, they're not the same. And so there's a lot of significant changes, I think, that are, uh, that are being embraced across our nation that are damaging to the authority of the Scripture. And uh, I, I, think that's, I think that's important. So we, we have, we have uh, taken a strong and conservative stand on the Bible and uh, don't make any apologies for that. But I, I do want you to know that the Bible's under attack, and it's nothing new. Because in the very beginning, in the Garden of Eden, it was Satan who brought the question mark, hath God said? He didn't say God hath said, he said hath God said. And so the Word of God was actually questioned during that time. Now, I, I want to say that I think that the problem with our government is the fact that they don't believe the Bible and they don't govern by its principles. I think that's the trouble 
in the government of the United States of America is that the Bible is not the guidebook that it once was in the early years and the foundational years of this republic. The problem with our educational system is that the Bible is not only taught, it's, it's not only not taught, but it's disrespected and ridiculed and, and ridiculous theories like Darwinism uh, has been replaced with, with biblical creation and, and intelligent design. And because of that fact, our children are growing up thinking that they evolved from some lower form of life. They live it out and act like it. And we wonder why we have shootings in our school and things like that going on. I'm going to tell you, there was a time when I went to school, I was telling my, we were talking to the family over Christmas. Uh, when I went to school, every F-150 pickup truck in the parking lot of my high school had a 3030 in uh, mounted on a, uh, a, a gun rack in the back window, every single one of them. I mean, it, there were guns everywhere, but people didn't shoot each other because they respected life because they knew there was a God. And so things have changed over the years. The problem with the world is not only do they not believe the Bible, they know nothing of the Bible. They don't even know basic principles of the Scripture. They don't know how not to believe something that they don't even know what it is. There's, there's, a, there's, there's an absolute ignorance in many countries today of anything that the Word of God has to say. And the problem in our churches is that we have minimized doctrinal preaching and we've magnified uh, entertainment and, and uh, uh, that type of uh, entertainment-driven ministry. It's, it's, it's everywhere. And so I think, that's a, I think that's a crying shame. I, I remember some time back when the Speaker of the House, at Newt Gingrich, who, who had been the Speaker of the House, who was a Southern Baptist, converted to Catholicism. And I thought to myself, how can somebody know so very little about the Scripture as to go from this point to that point? And the reality of the matter is, just like Mr. Gingrich, there, there is a deficit of Bible knowledge in the heads of God's people today, and, and, and they're extraordinarily anemic when it comes to their grasp uh, of the Scripture. They just don't know the Bible. Now, the Bible is the essential book of our life. Okay? We, we, we have to... Um, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Okay? And the Bible's supposed to be preached, and... And the Word of God is supposed to be preached, and in the beginning was the Word. And so we cannot divorce ourselves from the significance and the importance that the Bible should have in the life of every believer. And so we come face then with the, with the idea of how do we deal with the Bible? What do we do with the Bible? Is it an ornamental book that we buy and we've got a family, we've got all the lineage on the front page and there's our family Bible and it has a place of great reverence that we sit there? Is that, is that it? Is that, is that what we do? Is it just simply an ornament or is it, the fact, is it the fact that the Bible should take a predominant place in our life? Should it, have, should it be the preeminent book uh, in our life? It's very... It's very significant that we settle that question. So what place does it have? How do we deal with our Bible? Well, first of all, let me say this. We need to handle it with respect. Okay, we need, we need to respect the Bible. Now, here's what, here's what you're thinking when I say that. Okay, well, you know, 
be careful. Don't lay it out in the rain, you know. When the kids were young in, in children's church, if a kid brings a Bible and it was left outside and it's all messed up, we'll say, oh, they've got a sad Bible. We're teaching them the importance of taking care of this physical book. Don't leave it behind, okay? <clears throat> Don't just lay it around somewhere. Don't throw it. Don't toss it. Handle your Bible. It should be a book that's handled with care. The church gave me one at Christmas, and I love it. I, I think I'm going to use that as my personal reading Bible. I can make notes in it because my preaching Bible, when I carry it around with me, it gets sort of banged up a little bit. I'm going to hopefully have this one rebound. But I'm enjoying that fresh Bible there of being able to read through it. and It has got big margins, and I can make notes of it, and I want to protect it and take care of it physically. But it goes a lot deeper than that. When I'm talking about respecting the Bible and I'm talking about handling it with care, I want you to know that, that, that what I mean is not just how, don't just leave your Bible out in the rain or on the, on the dashboard of your truck where the sun warps it. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about handling what God says, about being very careful with what we do with what God says. I'm talking about not taking what the Bible says and handling it in a, in a very trite manner. Let's be very, very careful with that. 2 Peter 3, verse, six, uh, 2 Peter, uh, 3, verse 16, uh, As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable. Listen to this. He's describing a class of people. And he said, These people are unlearned and unstable, and they rest the scriptures. They that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do also the other scriptures under their own destruction. So he's talking about a group of people that are unstable spiritually. They may be financially on solid ground, but spiritually they're unstable. He's talking about a, a group of people that are unlearned. No, no, no. They, they may be brilliant. I could care less about that. They may be brilliant. They may be doctors and lawyers. Who cares? When it comes to the Bible, <clears throat> if they are unlearned on the Scriptures, then the tendency they have then is to rest the Scriptures uh, to their own destruction. Now, now, the word rest is an interesting word. So I'm talking about respecting. The, what do we do with our Bible? Respect it. Well, how do we respect it? We, we handle with care what God teaches us and says to us in His Word. Be careful how you twist the Scripture. Be careful how you rest the scripture to fit what you want it to say. There's a lot of that going on today, and it's disturbing. The word rest means to, uh, it's a wrestling term that means to manipulate or to twist. And so it would sort of be like getting something in a headlock, and you just, you get the arm around the head, and you reach here, and you grab this, and you pull upwards, and, and you've got somebody in a headlock, it's hard for them to move. You crank down on that thing and you really ratchet it up, it's cutting off the blood to the head and they're feeling weak and they're tapping out. And so, so um, what he's talking about is that, that people uh, that have not studied, they, they're not handling the Word of God. They're unstable people. They're, they may be eloquent, but they're unlearned. And they may have worldly wisdom, but they're biblically ignorant and unstable and, 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 and they're resting, they are putting truth in a headlock. They're twisting it and manipulating it to fit what they want it to believe. Okay. 
That's how they're doing it. There's a danger in a lot of books that you read today because there's a lot of people that are taking the Bible and manipulating it so that it will, it will fit their doctrinal preconceptions and, and uh, uh, it'll fit them. And so they've got the truth in a headlock and they distort it to fit their own smallish ideas. They warp the word to fit their personal doctrine that they are fond of. And and uh, their own dogmatism, and that's unnecessary. Let me tell you this, we've said this before, but the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. Now, I'm, I'm not against commentaries. I've got plenty of them. My favorite, I love G. Campbell Morgan. I love, I love his work. John Phillips has got great commentaries. I love those guys. Appreciate them because their goal is to, their goal is to distribute truth through the Scriptures and the study of the Scriptures. And I, I'm glad that's the, they don't have an agenda that they're trying to drive a point home. They're just teaching the Word, and I'm grateful for that. I'm not against commentaries, but I'm just simply saying the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. It explains itself and, and uh, it, it, it does it quite well. It never contradicts itself. And so it's important. Now let me just say this and I'm going to move on. We're not allowed to take a context in the Bible and rest it for our own purpose. That's not allowed. We can't do that. You're, you may have preferences, that's fine, but don't twist the scripture to support your preferences. You, you may have things that you like better than others. That's okay. But be honest about it. I get disturbed when I hear people that get up and preach preferences as though it is the word of the living God when really it's just their personal preference. And by the way, we all have them, don't we? I think, well, I mean, I, I, would, I, I think we all do. We all have personal preferences and things that we like in life. And, and, and sometimes we, we feel the need to support our preferences with Scripture, the reality of the matter is if it's your preference, it's okay. God doesn't care whether you like vanilla ice cream or rainbow ice cream. If you get, if you get the Neapolitan, you can get it a lot cheaper and uh, about 70 gallons for $3. We did that when the kids were young. Now that they're gone, we get decent ice cream. But anyhow, uh, I'm just saying, look, look, whatever your flavor in life is, that's your preference. Just don't try to make it into a Bible doctrine because it's not one. And to do so is a dishonest handling of the Word of God. So we ought to respect the Bible. You ought to respect it. If God said it, boom, that's it. If it nails you, boom, that's it. If it condemns you, sorry, that's it. If it, if, if it, if it cuts against your grain, I, you can't change the book. Don't change the book. Read the Bible. And, 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 and that's our next point. We have to read it. So, how do we respect the Bible? We just sit on the shelf there and everybody comes by and says, well, there's a family Bible. No, read it. If we're saved, we ought, to be, we ought to be Bible readers. We ought to read the Scripture. Revelation chapter 1 verse 3 says, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Now understand that that is specifically given for the book of Revelation. Okay, there's a special blessing to those that read the prophecy of the book of Revelation. But I don't think there's any damage whatsoever because in other places it's indicated that we're blessed by reading the Bible itself from cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, and everything that's in between. And so it surely applies, I think, uh, to the entire Bible. And, and God did not write us a manual and expect us not to read it. Okay.
He gave us the book. Read the book. And by the way, listen to me. When you don't read it, you're going to get weak. You don't read it, you're going to weaken up. Read the Bible. Well, I, you know, I, I had a pastor tell me one time, he said, I'll prepare a message. I'll study for a message. He said, I may lay out on the floor all my books on the floor, and I will study, I will study for a message, and I may not do anything for, for a, a solid week where I'm preparing a message. And he said, I won't pick my Bible up again for a month. And I sat there and listened to that, and on the way home I told my wife, I said, that's, that's dangerous. That's not healthy. That's like saying I eat a big meal, man. I'm going to take something. My wife, I'm, talking, I'm talking about roast, potatoes, carrots. It's good, but I don't eat again for a month. Well, that's not healthy. That's not healthy. And the reality of the matter, what he was doing was he was studying so that he could present in his preaching something that, that was presentable, but he wasn't feeding himself. It wasn't too many years later that he was out of the ministry. You know why? Because that's unhealthy living, not just for a pastor, that's unhealthy living for a Christian. Read your Bible. Read, read, read your Bible. Well, preacher, how, how many chapters should I, should I read? I don't think that's my place to tell you, and I don't think it's anybody else's business. We discourage sometimes. I've heard preachers, I read 21 chapters a day. Well, thank God for that. But maybe this guy can't read that. Maybe he reads a chapter a day. I, look, I, I, don't, <clears throat> I don't think there's, a, I don't think there's a, a number that we can give that God wants you to read. There sometimes, there's sometimes I get in and read more than I do at others, and then there's sometimes I get in and bog down and I start doing, I start doing some study. So, I, I, there, you know, for me to say to you, read five chapters a day, I'm not going to tell you that. that. I think that's between you and God, and me and God. And, and if you do it for any other reason other than the Lord, you're doing it just to impress people and, and, and you know, to let them know how many times you've read through the Bible. We, we find pride in even the best things. How many times you read through the Bible? I read through the Bible 27 times. Well, that's great. That's wonderful. That's great. I've had friends of mine that, that, that make regular posts on how many times they read through the Bible. Well, that's, hey, help yourself. Some of them aren't in the ministry today. So evidently, reading through the Bible once a year didn't keep them out of Satan's clutches. So the reality of the matter is, we can find pride in anything. That's how sinful we are. We get, we get prideful about going to church. We can put money in the offering plate. We're given to the Lord. We're prideful about it. It's, it's ridiculous. But it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the common sin that, that we all struggle with. And, and, and so um, just, just, just read your Bible. Now let me challenge you with this. Okay, Let me challenge you. Some of you that are watching on live stream, let me, let me throw this challenge out to all of us here. Have you ever read through your Bible? All right, I said this a couple of Sundays ago. I'm going to say it again. Have you ever read through your Bible? Well, how do you know you're obeying it if you've never read through your Bible? I'm talking about read through it. I had a lady say to me one time, she said, Pastor, the Bible says every tub shall stand on its own bottom. I said, no, ma'am, it does not. Yes, it does. I said, no, ma'am, it does not. She said, Pastor, it's in the Bible. I laid my Bible down. I said, I'm not trying to be a smart aleck, but show me where it says that. 
And she said, well, I don't know where it's at. It's in there. I said, ma'am, I've read from cover to cover. It's not in the Bible. The Bible doesn't say that. Now, I understand the principle that she was trying to express, but just simply put, that's not in the Bible. You have to know the word. And, and, and so I would challenge everybody here. Now, wait. You can read four chapters a day and read through it in a year, in under a year with four chapters a day. But, but, but you don't have to do that. You don't have to read through it in a year. Well, I failed. I didn't read through it. I got to November and I still had too many chapters. I just quit. No, no, no. No, no. This isn't performance-based. Just read through your Bible. If it takes you two years, that's good. That's fine. If it takes you three years, just read through your Bible. After my dad got saved, one of the most blessed moments of his life was that every day after he got born again, my dad would take his Bible to the to the railroad, and at lunchtime he would read the scriptures as he ate. And I don't know how long it took him. I just remember the time when my dad came home and told my mom, he told my mom, who was saved as a little girl, he told my mom, Maggie, I finished reading through my Bible today. And, and that was such a sense of accomplishment. And I remember thinking, wow, Pop read through his Bible. I was so happy for that. We ought to do that. So read, just, just read your Bible. And maybe set a goal to read through it uh, and, and get started on that. You've you, you got to get started. Let me say this, too, and then I'm going to move to my next point. But listen carefully to this. Read it prayerfully. Well, how, how do you read your Bible carefully? Well, you read a verse and then pray. Read a verse? No. No, I'm cutting up. No, how do you read through it? You start out by saying, Lord, please give me. In, in, in this... What I'm going to read here today, would you give me what I need? Would the Holy Spirit, would you with the Holy Spirit, would, it just, would you just convict me or show me or enlighten this book? He, he's the author. I've read some great books. Uh, James Donovan wrote A Terrible Glory, the greatest book ever written. On, on uh, Custer and, and Little Bighorn. Staggeringly great book. And I reached out to the author. I reached out to him and Mitch. When I read a great book, I'm looking for the author. I want to talk to the author. So, I, so we swapped some messages about the book. And you know what he can do? He can give me insight that you can't get anywhere else. Why? Because he wrote the book. He, he wrote the book. Neil Baldwin wrote a book on, on uh, Henry Ford and the Jews. And he talked about the fact that, that Henry Ford, um, when you go into Adolf Hitler's office, the, the only picture that was behind Hitler's desk uh, of a Westerner was Henry Ford. And my grandfather worked for Henry Ford uh, at the Ford Plantation in Richmond Hill, Georgia. And Henry Ford was a brilliant man, but in other ways, Henry Ford lacked a great deal of, of, of uh, common sense in, in education. And so uh, here uh, I, went to this, I went to the meeting where this guy was talking about his book. And afterwards, I went aside and talked with him and asked him some questions about Hitler uh, and Ford and Lindbergh and some of the stuff that was going on during those days. And it was fascinating to me to leave that place with a different, a, a different appreciation. Why? Because of the book, because I had talked with the author. When you read the Bible, talk to the author. 
Ask the author to make this book, his book, clear to you. And God, God will open the word up to you. And, and, and we ought to read it with an open heart. We ought to read it with an open life, an open mind. Wait a minute. We ought to read it looking for a blessing. Read it looking for a blessing. God, give me something today. Have you ever had a day where you wish you didn't have to get out of bed? I mean, wake up. I mean, th this, this was a bad one. I'd like to press reset button. What do you do? You read your way through the storm. You just read your way through the storm. Just read your way through the storm. I've sobbed and 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 sobbed. I've had grandchildren that have passed away. I've had family members whose lives have imploded. Well, how do you get through it? You read your way through it. I'm going to tell you something. You hear me and hear me well. This book is an anchor. It is an anchor. And when I read this book, what I find in it is I find the words of God. And you know what the words of God do for me? They clear my muddled, fogged up brain. They clear the book. They clear it. And it gives me a perspective. I may not read a verse of Scripture and say, Dean, thou hast done this, now thou must do this. I may not read something specifically, but I read something in it that ministers to me. You know, I told you when I came back from cancer, man, I went into a three-day drop-off that was like, son, what in the world is happening to you? You, you know what got me through? And I'm, I'm dead serious. You know what got me through? This book. I just read the book. And I'll be honest, when I started reading, it was like, okay, here, I'm going to read the Bible. I was, I was discouraged. Why did I have cancer? Why did this happen? I just started reading the Bible. And what happened is I read the Bible is, though I didn't read anything specifically about what I was going through, the fog began to lift. It just began to lift. And that book will minister to you in a way that you have no, no idea now if you'll just simply read the Bible. It's God's love lever. Read the Bible. It's the manual for living. Read the manual. It's important. Just so very, very important. We ought to read it prayerfully. Then third of all, let me say this, not just respect it and read it, but study it. Okay? Now here's a different idea. So we're to study the Bible. Not just read it. So I can read it like this. You know, I, I, I can get in and I can just, you go to the middle of the Psalms, you can find some really short ones. Man, I read 10 tonight. That's great. Boy, they were like three verses long. I really, I dug in. But you're just, you're getting through it. That's okay. All right. Just read it. I'm glad you're reading it. But sometimes, what does the Bible, what does the Bible say to us in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15? Study. Why? To show thyself approved. Unto who? Man. Impress men. Study so that when men hear you speak, they're going to say, dude, that guy is brilliant. No. Study to show thyself approved unto God. We're not trying to impress anybody. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Wait a minute. Hold it. Wait. Rightly dividing the word of truth. You know where people get in doctrinal trouble? They don't rightly divide the book. They let a line fall here or a line fall there. A line, you know, they, they, they're taking stuff out of the book of Acts, which is the transitional book, and they're applying it today when clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 it says those things are going to end when this 
That which is perfect is come. If you don't think you've got a perfect Bible, you've got a problem with that doctrine. But if you believe the Bible, the Word of God is perfect, then you understand that which is perfect is come. That which is in part shall be done away. But people are living in part, dealing with those in part things. You see. And, and so we, we're called to study we're called to study the Bible. Sometimes we snack. How many of you like snacks? Okay, you just eat a snack or two? Okay, I had a snack. Thank you. Uh, it's true. And, and I had a snack today. I got some, uh, Gavin was raising his hand. He and I are, we like this. I got some, I got a little pack of uh, cashews today. Snacked on that. But that's not a meal, okay? You can, I enjoy snacks, but the snack isn't the meal. I think that sometimes we're willing to snack on the Word. And I'm not against devotionals. I like devotionals. But sometimes I think well, we get a verse and a story and whoo, we're good. Well, wait, wait, wait a minute. Study to show thyself approved unto God. Don't let a devotional take place of the Word of God. Now, l let me say a couple of things. Let me just take a moment, okay? So just stay with me for a minute. When you study the Bible, you have to take into consideration the context of the text that you're studying. Listen to this statement. Listen to this statement. Okay? Any text taken out of context is a pretext. Okay, listen to me. Any text taken out of context is a pretext. You've, you've rested the Scripture. You can't pull a verse up, you know. I read about the, the guy, you know, sort of funny. He said, uh, you know, um, he just said, Lord, show me something. And he opened it up and he says, Judas went out and hanged himself. And then he said, wow, that's not very good. So he said, I'm going to try it again. So he let it fall open another place and it said, go thou and do likewise. So, you, you know, uh, that's just humorous. But the reality of the matter is, the reality of the matter is we, we've got to, you can't just grab something and pull it out and dangle it up here. Like, look at this. No, no, no. That's, that's, where, that's where false doctrine comes from, and that's where people get so off base. You have to take, you have to take it in, in the context in which it is given. And so that's very, very important uh, that we look at it in context of the setting and of the book it's given in and of the overall context of the Scripture. Does it conflict with the Bible? The, the Word of God will, will never, ever conflict. So, when, when I study a Scripture, one of the first things I'm looking for, one of the first goals that I have, is to understand what was originally intended when it was given. Okay, who said this? Who was he writing to? And, and what was the purpose of the writing? So when I read, when I read the, 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 the story of the prodigal son, okay, well, well, who said this? All right, so Jesus is teaching, all right? He's teaching on a prodigal and a, and a father. Wait a minute. So who's he saying this to? Who's he saying this to? He wasn't speaking to a great group of people. It's not who that was to. Read the book. He was saying that to the Pharisees. He talked about a lost coin. A lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. He was talking to the Pharisees, and the reason that he was doing it 
is because in their Jewish setting, it would have been a horrific thing for a son to come to a father and said, give me, give me what is owed me because what that, that never happened under the law of primogeniture. That never happened until the father was dead. So what the, what the prodigal was doing was going to his father and saying, drop dead. I want my stuff now. As far as I'm concerned, you're dead to me. You don't live. I don't want to hear your voice. I don't want to live under your roof. I don't want to see your rules. You and me, we're gone. You're dead. Give me my money. I'm gone. That's what happened. That's what happened. That's the setting. So then we wind our way through that story, and the Pharisees that are listening to us say, I can't believe he let the kid walk away. And then when the kid comes back, yeah, he's going yeah, to get his now. You, you remember, do you remember when Absalom came back to David and David said, I won't see you for two years. Get, get your, your home, get out. A good, a good father wouldn't see his son for two years. You're going, there will be some payment for what you've done. I will not see your face for two years. So the, the setting there is these Pharisees thinking, that's what's going to happen to this kid. But the father instead embraces him, loves him, clothes him, and has a celebration. And then what happens? The story ends. No, no, the story doesn't end. Now the Pharisee, the elder brother, shows up. And he's like, what's going on? They're celebrating. And so the elder brother represented the men he was actually telling that story to. And he was as far from God as in the backyard as the prodigal was in the hog pen. The difference is the prodigal came home, but when the story ends, the elder brother is still standing in the yard. That's the setting. So when you read the scripture, you've you got to find out, okay, who said this? Who are they saying it to? And what was the, what was the setting? What, what was the purpose of this scripture that brought this about? And it's very, very important how the original audience would have understood what he wrote and why he wrote it. Let me say this to you. Okay, now we're going to get down. I've got one more point, but stay with me. Listen to me. The Bible wasn't written in a vacuum. The Bible was not written in a vacuum. It has, first of all, it, was a, it is a historical document. Historically, isn't it amazing how, how the world finally catches up with what the Bible said all along? Well, there's no Pontius Pilate. Well, really, they found a stone in Caesarea Maritime that has Pilate's name on it. So guess what? The Bible was right and man was wrong. And all these people that are talking about evolution, listen to me. The Bible's right, okay? The Bible account of creation is accurate, and they're all absolutely Dead wrong. So the Bible is a historical document. Number two, it's written in a specific point in history as it goes down through the line. Number three, it is written with a specific audience in mind. And number four, it has a specific purpose. So it's not just some vacuum here where these words are given out and they echo up throughout the universe. And we've got this strange book here. And we look at it and it says, man, these, dude, these are some strange sayings. No. Study. Who's saying it? Why is it being said? Who is he saying it to? What was the purpose behind what was said? And then what do we do? Then we make application to our own self. Okay? We apply it to ourselves. 
It's like we check the ingredients of cough syrup. Right? We find out what's in it, what, what was it. And we, we, whatever medicine it may be, we, then we apply it to ourselves once we feel like it's able to help us. Now, let me, let me give you this. Uh, let me give you a couple of quick... First of all, there's a book study. Now, let me, I, want you to, I want to say this to you. What we're going to do from this point forward, we're going to take a book of the Bible every Wednesday. Pastor, I don't think you can do it. You're probably right. So we're going to take a book of the Bible every week, and we're going to cover that book. So on one Wednesday, we're going to cover Genesis. Now, I can't get super bogged down, or we'll never. I mean, we'll never. If I have to take a couple of weeks, I will. But, but in reality, I'm going to take a book of the Bible, and we're going, to, we're going to encapsulate it. We're going to talk about, I don't want to just study about the Bible. I want to study the Bible. But I, want to, I think it will be important to us if we know... Uh, 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 like, a, like a general overview of the scripture, and then we'll highlight from that book some, some, some principles and some verses that will impact us. So we're going to take, take a look at the book, and then we're going to uh, uh, take the specifics that are in it, and we're going to apply it to how it impacts us today. So books that you would think, like Obadiah. What is Obadiah about? Who was Amos? You know, I mean, what about Habakkuk? That's, uh, that, you know, that's Habakkuk. Okay, What's, what is Habakkuk? Who is Habakkuk? What about Ruth? Okay, why would there be a book written for Ruth who goes to the Moabites? Why would you do that? Why, what about that? I mean, so, so we're going to, we're going to take a, a bigger view. We're going to get up a little bit and look down and take a bigger view of the book, then we're going to zoom in and find out how the truths of that particular book will apply to us. So they're book studies. And in a book study, uh, we focus uh, on that book and what the purpose of that book is. Second of all, there's topical studies. So there's a book study, and then there's topical studies. That's where we find a topic. Okay, I want to find out what the Bible says about justice. That's a, that's, a, that's a big word today. People are living... But you know that most of the justice that they're talking about today is scriptural. It's not biblical. It's, it's distorted scriptures uh, that lead them in some uh, you know, social justice cause, just like it used to be a social gospel. Now there's a lot of social justice stuff that God's not really uh, uh, near as involved in as people are and churches are today. What you can do with social justice, you can spend your entire ministry making the world a better place to go to hell from. Well, what have you done then if you make the world a better place to go to hell from and the world goes to hell from a better place? Don't mean anything, they're still in hell. So, so the thing that we have to do is we have to focus ourselves on, on scriptural things. So, so there's, there's a topical study. What does the Bible say about love, brotherly love? Well, that's a, that's a topic. That's a study. That's a good study. What does the Bible say about cremation? What does the Bible say about angels? What does the Bible say about demon possession? What does the Bible say about astrology, astronomy, the zodiac? Okay, what does, what does Scripture say about all that? Well, those are good 
Those are good topical studies. Third thing is a biographical study, and I, I enjoy that myself personally. I, I, I like it. It's what the Bible says about a particular person. With our men, we've studied Paul. We've studied Job. My word, what a study. We've studied Job. Uh, we've studied Elijah. Talk about a man. Elisha. Elijah was the country boy. Elisha was the city boy. Elijah was the loner. Elisha was the guy that walked with kings. Kings came to his deathbed. With Elijah, it was like, no, man, they, the kings didn't care if he died. In fact, they hoped he did. It's, just, it's fascinating when these biographical studies, Moses, the stuttering son of a slave woman that God used to lead those millions of Jews across the Red Sea. What a, what a powerful study it is. And so, by the way, when you study, like, let's take Job. You study Job, you're not just going to find Job in the book of Job. You can find Job throughout the Bible. So when you, you do a biographical study of Job, it's going to take you to different scriptures that you're going to be comparing scripture with scripture. And so, uh, so that's, that, uh, biographical studies are fun. They're good. Then there are word studies, and I love a word study. Now, most of my word studies come in the middle of another study. So what does this word mean? Okay. Like the, we just did a word study, the word rest. What does the word rest mean? Well, it comes from wrestle. In the South, it's spelled wrestle. Okay, you, ra you don't wrestle somebody. What is that? I didn't know what, when I grew up, I don't know what wrestling was. No, I was wrestling. And so you wrestled people. And me and my cousins used to wrestle. And then they had big time wrestling, you know, back before it was steroid. I mean, these guys were in horrible shape. I mean, they were in horrible shape, and they get in this ring and flop around and jump off the top rope. And, I mean, it's, it, it's a fake as it is today, but, but today they have steroids that make them really look different. But anyhow, it's, so it's a word study. And it gives you a clearer meaning of what does that word mean? When God said that, what exactly did God mean when he said that word? How does that impact my life? It's a word study. And then my last one, I'll move on. And that's geographical study. So a geographical study is like when I'm when I'm I'm thinking about Bethlehem. I want to study what went on in Bethlehem. Or I'm going to, I'm going to teach when I taught on the book of Thessalonians. What did I do? I I did a I did a geographical study of that place during that time when this was written. Philippi, Galatia, you study that. And what that does for you, I, you know, I don't ever bring a message saying I'm going to preach to you today on, on the, the historical significance of Bethlehem. No, but, but the significance of Bethlehem lays the foundation for the Christmas story and what went on then. And by the way, by the way, at the crucifixion at Easter, why was the city so crowded? What, what was the population before? And what was the population after the feast? And it's fascinating because during that same time, when Jesus came through the gate on the donkey, on the other side of the city, Pontius Pilate was riding through with his legions. The same time, the same day, two different, two different entrances, you see. And so it's, it's a fascinating, it's fascinating study. Fourth of all, and I'll just take a couple of minutes, and that's just simply memorize it. Now, now, if you, if you read in Ephesians chapter 6, it gives a description of the armor for the Christian. Did you know that every weapon in there basically is defensive except for one? And what is that? It's the sword of the Spirit. 
You got the shield of faith. By the way, there's nothing covering your back, so don't turn and run, okay? You'll get nailed. Satan nails quitters and retreaters, people that go AWOL. He nails them. So if you're going backwards, you're in trouble. So, so if you're turning and running back where you came from, it's not going to work out well. But every, everything, our feet shot, our, the breastplate of all these things, they're defensive. We've got the shield of faith whereby we quench the fiery darts of Satan. What is our offensive weapon? It's the sword of the Spirit. And so we ought to memorize that. Now, now remember, remember what happened. In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12 that the Bible is sharper than what? Any two-edged sword. Okay, so, so our weapon is, so what happened to Jesus? What happened to Jesus when he was in the wilderness and, and, and he was uh, attempted in Matthew chapter 4? What did Jesus do? What did he do? He quoted the word of God. So we're in trouble, okay? The devil is attacking us. So what are we going to do? Satan, could you hold that attack? Could you, could you hold that right there? I want to dig in the scripture and find out exactly what's going on here. No, 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 no. Most of the time, Satan's not going to stop while you dig in the scripture. That's why, that's why we ought to memorize the Bible, because it's handy. Can I use it this way? <laughs> okay, you're not, you're not in a good mood tonight. Let me, can I, can I use it this way? Look at me, because I love this church. Okay. We're, you're under attack. Uh, sir, could I go home and get my gun? No. I'm not going to get your gun. Some people carry concealed to protect themselves. Okay, now, now listen to me. You, you know what memorizing the scripture is? It's concealing it. Thy word have I hid in my... I'm concealing it. I've hid it in my heart. Why? That I might not live against... That I might not sin against thee. What he's saying is simply this. When I'm under attack, I want my weapon with me. I memorize it. I'm memorizing the scripture. Now, probably none of us do that enough. This is a great year to commit scripture to memory. Just to memorize, maybe chapters. Maybe there's a chapter that particularly encourages you. Memorize it. Memorize it. You say, well, preacher, I, 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 this is where I have problems at. Then get five or six scriptures that deal with your problem and memorize every single one of them so that you can, you can just quote them. Just quote them. Just quote them by memory. And it'll help you if you'll learn how to memorize the Word of God, hide its words in our heart that we might not sin against Him. And then last of all, I'll close with that. That's just live it. I love James chapter 1. Let me read that scripture for you. James chapter 1, 22, 23, and 24. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving who? Your own self. You know what that is? That's a self-deceived deceiver. Guess who I've deceived? I deceived Dean. I got... Dean talked Dean into thinking that Dean was doing really good. You know why? Because Dean heard the word, but he wasn't a doer of the word. See? Be ye doers of the word, not hearers only. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass watch. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. 
You ever looked in the mirror and saw something and meant to fix it and forgot to fix it? Oh, yeah. So I'm shaving one morning. And zip, zop, my face is ripped to shreds. Okay? I took off half my chin. Well, everybody knows the, the best thing to do if you take off half your chin is to get a half a roll of toilet paper and stick it on your face so that it soaks in and coagulates and you're good to go. Now, there's, I've got a septic pencil, but that can send you actually to the ER if you use it too quickly. A lot of stinging pain. So, and it doesn't work all the time, you know. It's, it's white and it crusts over. Then you talk with somebody and smile. <laughs> and so, so, yeah, I cut myself and I thought, oh, man, are you kidding me? I've got to go to church. Can't believe I did this. And so I took the toilet paper and stuck it there and held it there and I'm waiting and... Sure enough, finally it stops, and there it is. I'm like, okay. So I wash my hand off, and, and it's there. It's just, just letting it sit for a minute. And, and then I got busy. <laughs> I got busy. I had to go to church. So I come to church. I come up. I teach Sunday school. I preach. Everything's great, man. We had a great Sunday. It was here. It was a great Sunday. Ron could have told me, but Ron didn't say anything. Chad certainly didn't say anything. Chad took pictures of it, probably. So on the way home, can you imagine this, Tim? On the way home, my wife says, why do you have that paper stuck to your face? Are you kidding me? She rode all the way to church with me. Oh, I just like to look like an idiot. I looked in the mirror. I said, I can't believe. Why didn't you say anything to me? She said, I didn't know why. I then I thought you knew it. I'm like, no, I didn't know it. You think I'd walk around with paper stuck to my face? That's what this is talking about. It's like a guy that looks in the mirror and says, oh, dude, you got trouble. But then he goes his way. He's a hearer of the word. He knows what, he knows what he's heard, but he doesn't do anything about it. So if we're to be hearers of the word, we have to be where the word is spoken, Right? That's church. That's a good place. It's not the only place, but it's a good place. Folks, look at me. Listen to me. You can, you can say anything or do anything you want to about this blessed book, but if you don't live it, if you don't live it, what good does it do? Our desperate need in our world today, oh my word, it is God's people living God's word, God's way. That's, that's what will change lives. God's people living God's word, God's way. And uh, that's the only way we'll have a real impact. Next Wednesday night. <laughs> now there's already, I can see there's a, there's a betting line going out. He'll never get through Genesis in one week. Okay. It's all right. Please tithe off your winnings. Uh, we'll find out. And uh, so we'll start next week with Genesis. And I'm going to try to do this in such a manner that we, that we don't get bogged and that we can. I do want, I want to go all the way through the Scripture. What's the purpose in the book? Who was it written to? Who wrote it? Why? What's the key message in there? What's the, what is the theme of that book? What are the key words what are the key verses? Those are the things we're going to look at. So bring a, bring a paper and pen. If you've got a wide margin Bible, you can do it however you want to do it. I hope, you'll, I hope it'll be a blessing to you and you'll, 
we'll come away with this with some help. Okay, Father, bless us. Now, thank you for the, for the Word of God. Thank you for what it means to us. I pray you would help us to live it, to respect it, Lord, to read it, to memorize it, to study it, and to live it. Lord, help us to do those very things. Bless us as we get ready for Sunday. Bless those that are sick and to get them well and bring them back to us, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen.